series entitled The Gifts of Easter. And so each week we've been looking at some of these objects, some of these gifts that were a part of the crucifixion and resurrection seen here in the Word of God as we prepare our hearts for Easter. Uh, we began by looking at the crown of thorns and examined that a number of weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago. Then we took a look at uh, the nails uh, that were used with Jesus Christ and nailing him to the cross. Uh, last week, uh, this was my attempt of the sheet. I told you the, the story about that. Certainly it was not a sheet like that, but the curtain or the veil that was torn in two. And we, we looked at uh, some of what that symbolized and represented. This morning we're going to be looking at the cross. And then uh, certainly for Easter Sunday we're going to be looking at the tomb, the empty tomb. And, and some of the gifts and uh, the things that this points us to and, and guides us to in Christ. When it comes to Jesus Christ, he'd, he'd gone through the, uh, the crown of thorns, the, the mocking, the beating, the whipping, and the scourging, all of that that the soldiers had uh, taken part in inflicting upon his body. And more than likely, as they prepared him for the cross, they attached or, or placed this cross beam. This, certainly, this is, uh, this is more scale, more our size, but placed this cross beam alongside his shoulders as he would carry that to the cross. Some of the scholars, theologians, and those who would study would say that this uh, main piece that would stay in the ground could be upwards of 300 pounds. This cross beam that he might have been asked to bear could be around 100 pounds. Can you imagine being whipped and mocked and beaten, bloodied to a pulp, and then 100 pounds of rough, splintery, rugged wood draped across your wound-opened shoulders and back? I don't know about you, I don't like getting a splinter in my finger. Does that annoy you? You get, a, you get a splinter, you got to pick it out, just one little piece, one little speck, one little splinter of wood, and after all that Jesus had been through already, possibly a hundred pounds placed across his back and shoulders as he has got to bring this to the cross. We see other uh, gospel accounts as Jesus made his way towards the cross and fell through the, the lack of uh, the loss of blood and, and the physical health of his body, and they, they asked Simon to come and carry his cross. Taking a look this morning, however, at John's gospel, John chapter 19, we'll take a look at verse 17 and verse 18. It reads like this, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Hold on there for just a moment. Golgotha, place of the skull. Doesn't that sound rather appropriate for what's about to take place? I mean, this, this is not a tea gathering. This is a place where somebody, a handful of somebodies, are about to lose their life. Taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he's carrying his cross. Verse 18 says, There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. 
Jesus crucified between two thieves. Now, crucifixion was practiced by a number of different peoples, Persians, Assyrians, Greeks, Romans, and others. It was incredibly painful, degrading, shameful form of punishment. It was both naked and public. Typically, uh, we see depictions or, or pictures or, or sometimes sculptures. Many times, uh, Jesus and others are, are clothed in a, in a loincloth. That's typically more for modesty from us here in our modern day and era and culture. They were not concerned about modesty. They were not concerned about covering up body parts. They were looking to graphically and physically expose you and inflict pain. Not just the physical pain, the emotional, psychological pain. Naked, bloodied, crucified, and doing so publicly. Can we grasp a little bit of what's taking place? It's, it, every year as we get close to Easter and we're, we're trying to prepare our hearts and we're trying to get, out, get the mindset of all that Christ went through, I'm not sure that we can fully and accurately grasp it, right? Not just all that he went through physically, but that public form of humiliation as he was nailed to the cross, it's been said that crosses many times are about maybe 10 to 12 feet in height. So when placed vertical, the, the feet of those that were crucified would not be uh, tremendously far off the ground. Sometimes they would be tied. Many times they would be nailed to the cross beams. If they're tied, in a sense, they're kind of left there for the elements for long periods of time. Left to die of thirst or starvation. Certainly, in Jesus' case and others' case, where they nail you to the cross, that hastens and speeds up the process a little bit. But many times it takes multiple hours, sometimes several days, for those being crucified to die. This, this was not a quick and painless form of punishment. This was not the electric chair where it's something that happens near instantaneously. This is not the lethal injection where it's something that happens near instantaneously. This is incredible torture, incredible intense pain over prolonged periods of time. And in many cases, when the crucifixion lasts too long, what do they do? They would come and break your legs to speed things up because as you are nailed to the cross you're trying to breathe you're you're pushing yourselves up on your nailed feet so that you can breathe and get some breaths and then you would slump back down again as they would break your legs now you can't push yourself up again you would slump down and it'd be a little bit of a form of asphyxiation mixed in with everything else that they're inflicting upon you Mark chapter 15, verse 44, Pilate is surprised that Jesus was already dead after just a number of hours. Remember, certainly in one of the scriptures we looked at already, Jesus said that he laid his life down. He gave it up. They did not take that from him. He willingly died for you. He willingly died for me. 
this morning as we take a look at the cross. There's a lot of things, a lot of different ways that we can take a look at this morning. But I want to take a look at a handful of things that the gift of the cross provides. First of all, the gift of the cross delivers us from our past. Aren't you thankful for that? That the gift of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross delivers you and I from our past. Now, hopefully we don't live in our past, but aren't there a number of things in your past that you would rather not bring up again? That you would rather forget? That you would rather do away with? I mean, just talking generally speaking, hairstyles and clothing that, that that's two right there right maybe maybe you've got some big hair 90 photos of yourself or maybe you've got some pegged jeans of the 80s of yourself or maybe you've got i don't know bell bottom from the 70s leisure suits uh, uh, maybe you've got the big bun hairdos uh, from the 60s i don't know Whatever it is, when you go back in time, you look at yourself now the way that you looked then, and you say, what happened? Or maybe as a kid, you say, Mom and Dad, why did you let me go out like that? Now, at the time, you were styling. You were, yeah, trust them, you were styling. Now, to be nice and gentle to you, I'm not going to go raid your photos I rated, I rated a couple of mine. So uh, let's check out uh, the first of my pictures here. This is me as a little boy, and it looks like I'm sitting on carpet. It looks awful lot like our, our church pews. This, this looked like red shag carpet from the 70s. Anybody have shag carpet at some point in time? Uh, the, the last house we owned, uh, the the basement the downstairs was orange shag carpet before we took that out so first of all right off that where we're seeing some red carpet now now check me out as if the red carpet wasn't enough what's the color of my shirt bright red what's the color of my pants red plaid who wears plaid apparently in the 70s it was, it was in, and, uh, and not just for, you know, adults in leisure suits, but even little boys. And then I'm a little boy, but with my bright red shirt and my red plaid pants, I think I've got blue socks and, like, brown casual shoes. Like, where's my tennis shoes? Well, you know, where's my sneakers? That's what I'm thinking. I, I thought I had some sneakers. Anyway, so that's me. And, of course, I got the little, got the little side do. I went back and forth as a kid, uh, parted on the left, and then a little bit later it's parted in the middle and got a little older and parted in the left. And, and now it's just kind of throw everything forward and keep as much as you can. But, I mean, you look at that and you say, man, that's not what I would choose now. Now, let's fast forward a, a few years. This is me a little bit older. Not sure that it's much, much better. I mean, head to toe, uh, I've got sunglasses that are like, I don't know, three times as big as they probably need to be. They're like bigger than my head. But I, I probably thought I was super cool, though. 
I mean, they're very, very reflective. And then, you know, I got stripes going on. I've got the, the tank top. I've got the red tank top with white stripes. And then I've got the blue shorts, the short shorts, with red stripes. And then I got the white high tube, high, high top socks with red stripes. I mean, I've just got stripes going on all over the place. And then what's with the pose? I mean, am I trying to be like America's next top boy, young model, or, or, or I'm not sure if that was me pulling a pose, or it, it could be, and I, I don't want to cause blame here, but it could be that maybe mom encouraged me to, you know, to pose for the camera. I don't know. Either way, I don't think I've ever willingly kind of stood like that. Um, I'm standing on a curb with my foot on something else that looks like maybe a, a little... Yes, a little public ashtray someplace. So I got my foot up on that, and it's kind of tilted at an angle with my, my hand, not on the top, but on the front of my knee. I mean, so we're having some, some fun at my expense. Later on today, you can go dig out your photos and be thankful that you're not living in the past, right? When it comes to our past, we're thankful that we're not there. So... When we say that he delivers us from our past, it's not just saying, okay, you know, our hairstyle's a little different, our clothing's a little different, our, our furniture, or carpet, or some of those things. But there's a lot about our pasts we would rather forget, right? How many of you, there were some mistakes you wish you had never made as you look back to your past? Maybe there are some words you wish you had never, ever said when you think back to your past. You ever had some of those words? They, they come out of your mouth, and as soon as they come out, you, you wish you could just kind of reel them back in like on a fishing line. You, you wish you could just delete them like on a computer screen, but those words came out, and those words hurt someone. We wish we could bring back some of those words. Maybe there's some memories that you wish you could forget. Hurts from the past that never seemed to heal. Maybe there's some habits you wished you had never started or, or habits that you wished you had broken earlier. Things that you would wish you could undo. We've all got those. Spiritually speaking, God's word is clear. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Side note, we've all had bad hair and clothing choices, but that's not what's in God's word. God's word says we've all sinned. We've done things we shouldn't, said things we shouldn't, gone to places, interacted with people how we shouldn't. I mean, we have all sinned in some fashion or another. We've fallen short of what God's desired for us, God's plan for us. But the gift of Jesus Christ, his death upon the cross, delivers us, frees us, forgives us from our past. 
Maybe you're looking right now at something from your past or something that's creeping up into the present, and maybe it's, maybe it's haunting you. It's, it's something you can't seem to wrestle free from or shake free from. We're able to overcome, not in our own self, but through the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross, his love, his forgiveness, his salvation. He's able to cleanse and forgive us from our past. Here's what Psalm 103 verse 12 says. Familiar and, and powerful verse that says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. He's removed our sins that far. He's been able to cleanse and wipe and wash and deliver us from that past life of sin. Aren't you thankful? Thankful that those things that maybe that you've said you wish you could take back, he's cleansed and forgiven. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, he comes and cleanses and forgives from the past. If you're struggling with something from the past, you're, you're struggling with a habit, struggling with a sin, God is able to come, God is able to cleanse, God is able to forgive and deliver us from the past. It makes us a brand new person. It's a story about a little girl who proudly wore a shiny cross on a chain around her neck, which is interesting, and a side note, the cross is the instrument of punishment. It's the instrument of death. And yet, it's become that symbol, not of death, but the symbol of life because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. The cross, we tend to today, many people wear it around their necks, right? Jesus had the cross on his back. Perhaps it'd be like, you know, wearing a, a necklace of an electric chair. Okay, kind of interesting when you think about that. This instrument of death was something that was used by God to provide life. So here's the little girl. She proudly was wearing a shiny cross around her neck. One day she was approached by a man who said this to her. Little girl, don't you know that the cross Jesus died on wasn't pretty and, and beautiful and shiny like the one that you're wearing. It was an ugly, wooden, rough thing. To which the little girl replied, I love her response, yes, I know. But they told me in Sunday school that whatever Jesus touches, he changes. Don't you love that? They told me in Sunday school, whatever Jesus touches, he changes. That cross, that instrument of death, that instrument of punishment, that uh, instrument of, of torture and affliction, humiliation, touched and changed by God. It echoes what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new is here. 
Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful for his forgiveness. I'm thankful for that brand new start. He's able to cleanse and forgive and deliver me and you from our past. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? all provided through the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Secondly, not only does the cross deliver us from our past, but it de defines our present. Defines our present. Very familiar verse of Scripture, most familiar in all of God's Word. John 3, 6, uh, 3.16, following the 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him he defines our present it's a present filled with his love and salvation and forgiveness in place of the guilt that we have in our lives we do something wrong we naturally and many times we feel guilty we we say something we shouldn't and we many times feel bad now maybe sometimes you've said something you shouldn't and you are you are glad you said it but many times there's a lot of guilt associated with sin and error and wrongdoing he defines our present, though. We don't need to live in guilt. We can live in forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Our past has been cleansed and freed and forgiven. And he's with us in the present. Many times we can tend to make excuses for our sin, make excuses for some of the guilt and things that we have. We, we say, well, that's just who I am. Ever heard some of those thoughts? Someone who pops off and gets mad and angry a lot. They say, well, that's just me. Well, that's just in my family. And Sometimes they, they point to the bloodline or they point to a nationality and say, well, that's just who I am. I'm just passionate. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We've been cleansed and forgiven. Sometimes we can tend to point figures at others. Well, I might have sinned, but guess what? You know what so-and-so did? I mean, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so over here. I mean, did you see what they were doing? Sometimes that, that finger pointing comes out. Rather than living in, in forgiveness and, and bringing those to Jesus Christ, we, we point at others. So it's kind of like the, the little kid who says, yeah, I hit him, but he hit me first. <laughs> well, yeah, I sinned, but not as bad as they did. We also will tend to compare ourselves. I'm, I'm just as good as or a little bit better than. I, I think I've done less sins than. And we, we try to analyze where we might be in our life with God. Paul wrote 
Many times when we compare ourselves with others, we, we show we're not very wise. Many times what individuals do, maybe you've tried to do it, in this sense of guilt and in this sense of our sins from our past, many individuals will try to outweigh the sin with good. Kind of like the buddy barrel. We've got the little buddy barrel with his arms sticking out, and on the one side it's a, a red bucket, on the other side is a blue bucket, and we see which one's heavier. Sometimes it's like what individuals do. They feel all the, all the weight of their sin fills one bucket, and, and man, it's heavy, and it sinks way to the bottom. So the thought is, well, if I can do a bunch of good things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some good things and I'm going to toss it into that other bucket on the other side. And if I do enough good things, that good is going to sink down and somehow even out or outweigh the bad and the sin. Now, is that a wise thought on our part? Is there enough good things that we can do that can even out the scales, tip the scales to say, my sins are cleansed, my sins are forgiven, my sins are weighed out by all the good that I've done? There's not enough good that we can do to earn salvation, to earn forgiveness. There's no way we could come close to making a dent into tipping the scales. I'm thankful that the cross of Jesus Christ defines my present. As I give my life, as I surrender to him, he cleanses, he forgives, he gives me a brand new start. That love that he has for me, it's unconditional. Romans 5.8 says that while we, make it personal, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. It's unconditional. If you had a bonus French fry, if you had a bonus Frosty, if you had a bonus milkshake or an, or an extra coffee and you're looking around for somebody to give it to, who would you give it to? Would you give it to a friend? Someone who loves you, someone who cares about you, someone who's there for you, or would you give it to an enemy? Would you give it to someone who you can't stand? Would you give it to that coworker who drives you crazy? That neighbor who you hope not to see? Chances are you probably want to give it to somebody you know. You want to give it to somebody who's nice to you. You would want to bless them with your fry or frosty or coffee. You want to bless somebody who's blessed you. That's a little bit conditional, isn't it? We can put conditions on our gifts, conditions on our gift giving. When it comes to Christmas or Easter for Easter baskets, you typically don't find people who go around looking for enemies to give Easter baskets to. It's typically kids and grandkids. When Christmas time comes and all those presents are around the tree, you typically don't wrap up presents for that person. You can't stand. You get the very, very nicest, most expensivest gift, and you bring it to that person you can't stand and say, Merry Christmas. No. 
If you got them anything, you'd get them what? A lump of coal. <laughs> you reserve the best for the people you know and trust and love and who love you. Yet that love that our God had for you and for me, it's not conditional on how good we are or aren't. God's word, God's word says, wow, we were even sinners. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he died for us. That's powerful. It's unconditional and it's undeserved. That didn't happen because I was so powerful and incredible. And he said, we must sacrifice Jesus Christ for him or for her. There's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve that forgiveness. Not a single one of us. So as we live in the present, he defines our present with love and with forgiveness. It's nothing I could earn. It's nothing I could deserve. And it's a presence, a present filled with his presence, no matter what we face. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he doesn't just deliver our past, he defines the present. And that present is filled with him being with us. Aren't you thankful for that? Because chances are good, if, if you've got a pulse, you've been through some pretty challenging times. There, there's challenges in the world that we face, in the world that we live in. There's physical and financial and emotional and spiritual and relational, all kinds of issues and challenges and struggles. And many times we feel as if we're going through it by ourselves. But we're encouraged. In the present, we can be assured of his presence. He's with you. He's going through those physical dealings, all, all the struggles, all the challenges, all the doctor visits, all the uh, uh, surgeries or procedures or all the things that you're, you're wrestling with. We know that he can heal. We also know he can walk with you through that process even if he doesn't. I'm thankful for the power of his presence not just to cleanse and to forgive my sins and then say, okay, you're on your own. But he's promised to be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth, even to the end of the age. He probably had good friends, but at some point in time, somebody has left you. Family member, friend, co-worker, neighbor, somebody that you thought you were close to. Maybe you felt like you were, you were stabbed in the back. Maybe you felt like maybe they didn't stab you in the back. They just didn't support you. They just weren't there. That happens to all of us, but not when it comes to Christ. He's promised to be with, to never leave, to never forsake us. Many in this place, you're going through some, some moments and some challenges, some uncertainties, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, relational. You're going through challenges. 
and you're not sure how to face them. You feel as if it, it's just time to give up. Don't give up. Be encouraged and be reminded of his power and of his presence in your lives. He's with you even in the midst of what you face. You don't have to walk through that situation. You don't have to walk through those pains. You don't have to walk through those challenges alone. The one who bore the cross on his back is more than able to walk with you through what it is that you're facing today. He helps to define your present. Allow the power of the cross, his cleansing, his healing, his forgiving. Allow his presence to be with you in the present. The cross of Jesus Christ, it delivers us from our past. It defines our present. And finally, I believe that it directs our future. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, we are God's masterpiece. Other versions would say handiwork or workmanship. We're God's workmanship created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. God directs our future. God has a plan for your life. He echoed many of those thoughts just a little bit ago in, in the, the tongues interpretation in our service this morning. He's got a plan. And that plan is a good one. We're God's workmanship, handiwork, masterpiece. That's how he views you and I. Not, not the junk left at the end of the day. Not something built with all the leftovers. That's not handiwork. That's not workmanship. That's not masterpiece. God has a plan for you and I. It's good stuff. God creates and makes good stuff. God empowers us to accomplish his plan. He's created us for a purpose. He's going to use us for his honor, for his glory, for his purpose. Let's trust in him for that. He's called us to live in that path, live in the plan that he has created for us. It's a, it's a pathway and a plan of purity and righteousness and holiness and obedience God's got good things in store. Let's be ready. Let's be patient. Let's, let's walk in that way that he has created. Sometimes God gives opportunities for us to explore some of those areas and aspects of life. You ever felt or sensed maybe God nudging you in certain directions? Sometimes those nudges are maybe in a direction that we were really hoping to go. But you ever had kind of the nudge of the Lord where he nudged you in a direction that maybe was stretching to you or outside of your comfort zone? And he thought, no, no, God, uh, over here. It's comfortable over here. It's easy over here. Sometimes that nudging, that stretching is, is to help us reach forward and stretch towards what he has 
for us, part of that plan and part of that purpose. Sometimes that nudging, as we're living day to day, that nudging is, is not to do something or specific direction. Sometimes that nudging is to not do certain things. We read God's word, we, we spend time in prayer, and there's that nudging that says, this ought not to be in our lives. But God, I kind of like that. Allow him to lead, allow him to nudge, nudging us towards his plan, nudging us towards his purpose, nudging us away from sin or hindrances. God has got great things in store if we will allow him to lead and guide and direct us. Let him nudge you. Let him grow you. Let him develop you. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for our plan, our purpose. Make sure that we focus on what God has in store. Great things in store for you and I. As we prepare our hearts for Easter and we examine some of these different objects, we see the incredible gift of God towards you and I. I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the plan that he had to give of his only begotten son for you and for me. Man, to try to make that personal. I don't have a son. Well, I sort of do. He's got four legs and he's really, really furry and he just turned six. That's Shadow the dog, but in, in, in this respect doesn't quite count. So taking Shadow out, I don't have a son, but I've got two daughters. Not one, but two. Do you think I would give up one of my girls for somebody else? And not just any somebody else. Can you imagine me giving up one of my girls for someone who would spit in my face and scorn and despise the very act of my sacrifice. That's a big, fat no. Absolutely not. And yet God he gave of his only son, Jesus, for you and for me. I'm thankful for that sacrifice. I'm thankful for the obedience of Jesus Christ to go to the cross, to submit to the will and the plan of the Father. He did it for you and he did it for me. Each and every one of us, far from God, deep into sin, because of what he did upon the cross of Calvary. He delivered us from our past. Helps to define our present with his presence, with his love, with his forgiveness, with his salvation, with his healing, with his provision. He helps define the present we live in. It helps guide and direct our paths for our future as we're faithful to listen and obey and follow him. Are you thankful for the cross?